Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets. This month's special guest is Amy Madison, Executive Director of the Pflugerville Community Development Corporation. Today, Amy discusses how to build a mutually beneficial incentive package for both the community and business. She also shares how her organization benchmarks measurable success and relates that information to her board. Let's jump right in to Amy's economic development secrets. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's really good to be with you. I'm really excited about our visit this morning. Great. Well, we're really excited to hear all of your economic development secrets. So can you start out by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, please? Well, my name is Amy Madison. I'm the Executive Director of the Pflugerville Community Development Corporation. Um, I have been working in economic development for more years than I want to admit, uh, but for a very long time, 20 years in the industry in actually two states. Um, started out in Oklahoma uh, working there at a regional center for uh, vocational education and worked with business development at that time, but it really was uh, a part of economic development for a three-county region um, surrounding the city of Shawnee, and then moved into Texas. I got here quick as I could, you know how that story goes, and I uh, started working in economic development in Shirts, Texas. Uh, and was there for seven years and moved up the road to San Marcos, where I ran the Greater San Marcos Partnership and eventually landed in Pflugerville with the Community Development Corporation here. So, um, you know, previously had uh, gotten my education out of Oklahoma at Phillips University and also graduated with my master's out of um Oklahoma University, which, you know, is not always appreciated in Texas. So, <laughs> boomer sooner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, dear. Great. Well, Amy, could you tell us a little bit about your community, please? Sure. You know, Pflugerville is just this side of Austin, northeast area in the um, regional uh, MSA uh, metropolitan statistical area of Austin. So we're real blessed to be that close, but we have a, some, a lot of differences as well. So it's really been a great area for us to grow. Our population is sitting right around 67,000, but in our ETJ, that's extraterritorial jurisdiction, we have another approximate 20,000. So even though we are ranked the third fastest growth city in the United States, that's only based on our in-city growth and our out-of-city ETJ is growing faster than our in-city. So we are impacted by all that growth uh, and very blessed to have uh, such a great community that's growing and merging into quite a, a major city. Um, you know, we've got a lot of great major employers and uh, in our community, uh, mostly manufacturing and distribution, 
but a wide variety of headquarters, regional headquarters. We even have one North American headquarters here. Um, one of our companies in additive manufacturing is growing right, quite rapidly, and uh, their North American headquarters is here. But our organization is really made up of a type 4B corporation, which is basically the state set aside uh, opportunities for local uh, cities to um, keep a half-cent sales tax for economic development purpose in the community. And our referendum was voted on in 2001. So since then, we've been operating as um, a 4B corporation under the law of the state, and it allows us to uh, do a few things that uh, are related to, um, of course, recruitment with primary jobs, but also we can do community parks and recreation. So we've been busy doing all those things. The city appointed is, of course, our board, and we've worked very, very closely with city council and the city uh, manager as well, uh, but we are an independent organization out here. Uh, for the city, and we represent economic development and the marketing arm for the community. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. Well, and what do you think some of the strengths of your organization are? Well, I think really, seriously, one of our biggest strengths is the focus on uh, really great leadership. We have a great city council, and then our board also has a wide variety of experience. But beyond that, we try to build on the talents that are brought to us. Uh, my staff, as well as the board, um, are, very, are very involved in additional training. Uh, our board attends uh, the seminars that are put on about um, type 4A, 4B um, uh, law, and so they participate. Uh, our staff has continued to seek additional training. Um, in fact, this week I have my executive assistant is headed to basic training. Um, I've got one employee that's ready to sit for the certification in economic development, and I've got two more that are uh, ramping up in other areas uh, to receive more training this year. So we focus a lot on development of board and uh, development of staff, and I think that is one of our major strengths. But I think that I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that we have a strategic plan and our, our what we call our SEDS, uh, our Comprehensive Economic Development Strategic Plan, has been instrumental in keeping our community on the same page and all of us focused. Um, we are in the process of completing our first three-year plan in two years, and we're actually just this past week sent out a request for proposal on uh, what we're calling SEDS 2.0. But that has been our roadmap. It's kept us very, very focused, and, um, and because of that, we've accomplished some really great things over the past two years. Could you discuss how you build incentive packages that are mutually beneficial for the community and the company? You know, I think I've been doing this for a very, very long time, and you get better with time. But I've always started it with a simple conversation with whomever the prospect is to try to learn where their gaps are, get to know them, uh, and find out where where they're really seeing some 
gaps in uh, in their strategy and where they need help. Um, and I think it helps you by diving into that conversation and just talking, uh, getting to know one another. It also begins a long-term relationship uh, during the recruitment process that can continue through um, an extensive retention program. Let's say you land them. This is the beginning of that relationship, and it's extremely important to know who they are and to understand what their challenges are. But more importantly, no matter what happens, you must have an all-win for the community and the company. Um, it can't be lopsided one way or the other, because then, um, you know, it, it really it it really doesn't feel good. <laughs> I know that sounds a little trite, but the truth is, after the fact, if you give up too much in the incentive, uh, then the community always feels a little un. Uh, you know, uncomfortable about that, and and if the company, if you if you make that incentive process so difficult and so onerous, um, in some cases, I've seen companies, while they may uh, really want to go to a community, but the incentive process is so laborious that that they don't that they go someplace else. And so I think trying to make it e not easy, but make it compatible with the needs of both are extremely important. Do you ever find that sometimes, I mean, while incentives most of the time are revolving around um, money, do you ever find that sometimes you're able to put together some incentive packages focusing on other non-monetary aspects? Absolutely, and that is one of the things we always try to do, uh, bring to the table some other assets. Uh, and maybe they're not deliverables that we directly will do, but we we put into our contracts that we will assist them with that process. For instance, um, the um, Texas Workforce Commission offers several different kinds of grants, and the state of Texas has some incentive programs as well. And we write into our program, I mean, our performance agreement with them that we're committed and will provide the backup and support for any of those grants uh, and assistance that they can get from the state. But we also put in there that we will host job fairs because a lot of these companies are growing very rapidly, maybe relocating, even if they're expanding. And those job fairs are actually through the Workforce Solutions Board's um, in the state of Texas. And so while it doesn't really cost us anything, we put it in there that we will facilitate uh, the job fairs, which um, is very beneficial to the company, but it also keeps us focused on doing it because it's in that specific agreement. And finally, you know, we have a new hospital in our community, and so being able to potentially offer them a health and wellness seminar at no cost working with our local hospital is also something that, you know, we have done as well. So a lot of those things can be provided. doesn't necessarily cost the um, economic development organization or the city anything, but it shows a real dedicated interest in matching resource that's out there with the companies that are moving forward in this process and actually making a commitment to facilitate it. Well, and then do you ever, when you're building in these incentive packages, do you have um, 
guidelines that you go by um, that you follow when you're building it? Um, so do you have things such as caps or performance agreements, clawbacks? Is any of that involved? Well, in the state of Texas, um, you know, any kind of an incentive that you offer uh, as a public entity, we're required to um, have a clawback as part of that. And so clawbacks are, um, you know, a part of every performance agreement that we develop. Um, it's part of every 380 and, uh, and uh, Chapter 380 agreement and Chapter 381 for counties, 380 for cities that they develop. However, I mean, you've got to focus on the fact that nobody goes into a performance agreement or a contract of any kind like that wanting to do a callback. Right. And so looking at the language you use and how you write the performance agreements is extremely important, making sure that the company must perform prior to any grant award. And if it's done that way, the likelihood of, of clawback is significantly reduced. Um, and, you know, they are not any more inclined to want to go through a clawback than you are. But that is required for every economic development incentive that's given in the state of Texas. But it's even uh, more important that before you enter into a contract with anyone, and they are basically contracts, um, You've got to know that other person. You've got to know and do significant due diligence on the company and the players. You need to know those people because uh, it's very important that you have the history and understanding for how that company is performed. Picking up the phone and calling another economic development organization in state or out of state um, is also another key way to learn more about the company uh, moving into your backyard so that you have as much information as possible about the company and will know if there's any issues or uh, cautions. And calling another economic development organization, another community where they may be, um, is very helpful. And sometimes they'll even share incentive information. And so that's kind of one of those things I've done in the past that's been very helpful. Yeah, that sounds very helpful. And then also nice to be able to, instead of viewing other communities as competition, you know, to kind of work together for the better of both communities and the company as well. That's always nice to keep in mind, too. Right. And, you know, ultimately, you're not competing with them if they're already someplace else and they're looking at your community to expand and add a new location that's uh, that's healthy for them too. Uh, recently, I was called by a local—I mean, a, 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 an economic development organization in the state of Texas related to a recent uh, uh, incentive deal that we did with a company here in Pflugerville, and I was very happy to provide information for them to know what to expect or what we did as a go-by for what they would do in their community. So, helping one another in that regard is a good thing, I think. How do you benchmark measurable success in your community? Well, there's a couple ways we do that. Um, you know, from an incentive standpoint, we use the impact data source uh, reporting. And for larger projects that kind of go beyond what we can do with our, um, our software that we have through your organization, um, we can always reach out and have, you know, a, 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 a contracted 
third-party report through your organization as well, which has been extremely helpful to us to uh, really look at um, our return on investment and our uh, cost per job and exactly how that plays out for all the taxing entities in our community, uh, particularly when they're all based on the same types of information, the North American industrial classification and the multipliers that those create. It helps you do a better job of doing a more apples to apples uh, comparison, um, I think. But, uh, but in, in looking at uh, benchmarks for the community itself, you know, when we did our comprehensive economic development plan, we, we set, we set um, a, a baseline of benchmarks, and it may be uh, uh, information from the census, um, the American Community Survey, other resources that we would pull. But what's important is that once you decide what you want to use for your benchmarks, it may be is ch child par poverty poverty decreasing, you know, or um, what is what is happening in terms of job growth. Uh, there's all different types of ways that you can provide metrics, but more important than the metric you choose is to be consistent. Utilize the same source of data so that it's apples to apples always when you're making your comparison. And some of those comparisons won't be updated for as many as two years. So in the interim, having some metrics that you can update on an annual basis helps you to kind of see where your community is headed. And our benchmarks are fairly significant. We, we uh, have a 40 different metrics that we measure our community on on a regular basis. And then we also have activity reports that surround the comprehensive plan that we have, showing our board and the city council uh, the kinds of things that we've either completed or we have uh, ongoing in our organization now as a result of meeting certain uh, goals and uh, achievements through that comprehensive plan. So I think we're always trying to measure ourselves, but you can't always measure what you need to measure unless you have comparatives too. So it's important to be able to compare some of your benchmarks um, with other communities or um, you know, even some communities that are outside the state. So we use a wide variety of ways to try to figure out where we stand as a community, uh, both uh, in our region but also in, in the U.S. I always love hearing about people with working strategic plans because it seems like, I, I mean, maybe it's, it was more, you know, a few years ago, but it seems like in the past, since I've been in economic development, which is not that long, um, but like, let's say over the past five years, it seems like people have gotten more into having a working strategic plan. I know when I first started, it seemed like strategic plans were more of, you know, the documents on the shelf that you made and then put away and didn't see again until it was time to, <laughs> you know, write a new one. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, well, and I, if I can comment on that, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I have found to be very, very impactful and helpful is um, I require my consultants to provide me with a spreadsheet. Um, I, you know, the volumes that they produce uh, can be very overwhelming, but I just want the basic goal and then the items that 
they're recommending that we do in a spreadsheet that's very easily read and referred to on a daily basis. My eight-page implementation plan is on eight and a half by 11 paper. It's eight pages, and it becomes my roadmap. I can go in and look at everything that that's the, the comprehensive plan calls for in a brief-down manner and see where I stand at any one moment. And I can share that with the board and share the metrics of our completion of that plan. Um, and, and again, it's only an eight-page document. So getting it to a workable stage, whatever that is for um, the economic development pro professional, is really, really key because you're not going to go back and read that document over and over again. So having it bulleted, having it in an easily referenced format for not only you and your staff to stay targeted on, but also for your board and even your council to be able to quickly review what your top priorities were, what your goals are, and what all you have achieved is very important. And it's been, I think, the secret sauce for us. Well, another thing, Amy, that I know you're very knowledgeable in is um, with dealing with board members and educating them and keeping them up to date with different economic development tactics. So um, my question to you is, do you have any special tips when working with onboarding board members or maintaining a certain amount of knowledge with them so that they have a baseline to you know, understand uh, when you present things to them? Absolutely. One of the first things when I got to Pflugerville that we did was to update our bylaws. And in the bylaws, it actually requires uh, the board members to attend um, a, a sales tax training seminar. Um, they don't have to do it every year, and it's only a one-time thing. But during their tenure on the board, they must attend at least one. So that is setting a precedent that you know, I'm, I'm certain a lot, a lot of communities do, but we did because we felt it was important to get them trained and educated. Um, but the other thing, too, that we do is um, every year I get new board members potentially, and even if I don't, I always like to take them back to the beginning. I know that sounds maybe, uh, 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 you know, trite to go all the way back to the beginning, but I think it's good to remind everybody of where we started, how we started, where we were, what we've achieved, the problems that we had, uh, and the mistakes that we made. If you remind your board, hey, we have made mistakes, and this is how we work through them, and how long it took us to get out from under some issues that were created early on, it helps them to understand the evolution of the board. And where they are now is in such a great place, but it's important that they don't forget the history and how we got there and how important it is to not fall back into uh, any of the habits that maybe caused issues in the past. So reminding them of some of our mistakes when we tripped a little and how we pulled ourselves back up again and moved forward, I think is significant, particularly in onboarding, so that they don't see us as just being perfect or knowing what we're doing. There's there's a lot of uh, effort that goes behind the job they've just taken on. 
That is wonderful to keep in mind. I've commented, I've had the same conversation with so many clients actually about how, um, you know, they can have all the data they need, but that at a certain point, you know, they just need to sit down with their boards so that one, they understand the information and two, are able to understand then why the economic developer is recommending whatever pathway and also to get them more involved in whatever aspect it is, um, whether it's, you know, the strategic plan. I mean, it's just, it's the same story over and over and over again. So I think that's wonderful that you're able to talk to the board and educate them and remind them where you've come from and where you're going. That's always wonderful to have in the back of their minds. Well, and you know, none of us like to admit the fact we've made mistakes in the past, but all cities have. In one way or another, they probably tripped a little here and there. And letting them know the honesty of that and, and how we work through anything that maybe could have been done better um, helps them to understand uh, their role, that, that they're leading us that next step and so every year we do um, we do a workshop every year uh, on a Saturday and we bring the entire board in and we talk about their role and their responsibilities we walk them through the history of the organization what we've accomplished in the past year and a half and then this year we added in benchmarking and talked about how how what are the best metrics for us to measure our success and it was a very uh, interactive conversation, and um, it was really well done. But one of my secrets is don't try to do it all yourself. Uh, bringing in professional help. Um, this year I engaged with Alicia Cook with Opportunity Strategies, and Alicia has very good experience in working with boards and commissions all over the state and beyond. And she came in and led that workshop for us, uh, to have that discussion about metrics and moving forward and what do we want to do next uh, conversation so that I could sit back and be part of that discussion. So I think it's important for people to understand and know you don't have to do it all yourself. Bringing someone else in is probably the smartest thing you can potentially do. Absolutely. And Alicia's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad you were able to work with her. Um, and yeah, that's a great, great tip. Well, Amy, I have a few wrap-up questions for you. The first sure. is, yeah, the first is, what is your biggest economic development secret to success for other economic developers out there listening? You know, I think I've really alluded to it, but I think my biggest economic development success, uh, I mean, secret to success, is going to have to go back to that comprehensive economic development strategic plan. You know, without it, it's so hard to really get everybody on the same page. And there's been, uh, over the years that I've engaged in strategic planning, there have been times when I've had council members or board members who have wanted to go off and do something different and veering from the plan that is there. And it's so great to be able to bring that plan out and say, but if we're going to do that, then it needs to be a decision of the whole that we're going to specifically redirect and change gears from what we strategically planned. And that helps to keep everybody focused on it, that if we're going to make a change, let's do it intentional. Let's don't just start driving down another road because it looks good. Let's make sure that if we're going to take that turn, that it's intentional and the entire team 
is behind it. And so I bring it back to them for vote because it's it's changing direction without the benefit of a discussion of the whole. So that's been probably my biggest uh, secret to success over the years. It's helped us stay focused and uh, we've been able to achieve great things. Uh, this plan that we just completed, uh, it was a three-year plan and we did it in less than two years. Um, and that's because of that focus. That's so impressive. I, I'm very impressed that you're able to, I mean, really cut off a whole year and get your things done. That's, that's a great focus to be able to do that. Well, thank you. <laughs> Are there any economic development resources that you would recommend to the audience? Well, I think that there's an awful lot of, of uh, publications, services, blogs out there. But I think from my own personal experience, uh, being able to resource um, what we have uh, through my professional organizations, both International Economic Development Council, uh, there's significant publications and resources available there. And the Texas Economic Development Council uh, also has a wonderful resource library. But I think beyond just those two organizations themselves, I've got to say that uh, my colleagues in economic development are some of my go-tos that are the best ever. Um, you can pick up the phone and you can call uh, people in the state of Texas that really know what they're doing and ask questions, and they're so willing in this or this professional uh, industry to help one another. It's interesting because it's it's out of the norm. We are so competitive when we're dealing on projects, but we're so collaborative and helpful when we're trying to build community. And I can't think of a time when I've ever been turned down by my professional colleague. Um, so I, I encourage people to really once you make uh, those connections and friendships and partnerships to make sure you pick up the phone and call because they on the other end of that line are going to help you. I love that. I have found the same thing. The economic development community is so um, wonderful and great resources, even with the certification, just everyone is such a, a cheerleader and willing to help each other. And it's just all around. It's a great industry. It's a great community. Absolutely. So the last question is, what is your favorite hobby? Well, you know, I... Um... I'm going to reveal something here. I started out um, uh, singing, and uh, in college I had a full scholarship, and wow. and I actually went to school, uh, yeah, on a full music scholarship, and uh, and I sang opera, which is a little out of wow. the ordinary, I think. Oh my um, goodness, I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, I did a lot of performance, and uh, I really loved music, but uh, I eventually ended up in um, journalism and communications, which led me into economic development. But I will tell you that being able to sing is still uh, one of my favorite things to do, and I enjoy uh, singing for uh, you know, different organizations, but I also had sung for 
my church a lot. And um, when my family gets together, my entire family is musical. And I have four brothers and sisters, and we make a pretty good quintet. And um, so we entertain ourselves at Christmas. So one of my biggest hobbies is still singing, and I still enjoy it, even though it's not a uh, a central focus anymore, uh, but I certainly do enjoy it. Oh, how fun. That is such a neat hobby and so sweet that you can enjoy it with your family as well. Well, Amy, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to all of us and share your economic development wisdom. Um, I know everyone, all the listeners, so appreciate your time. And I, uh, as well, so appreciate your time and everything that you've shared. So thank you. You're very welcome. And um, I hope that, um, you know, the, the little bit of tips here and there that I've shared are helpful to someone out there. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.